you have a Bible, there are Bibles at the back as well, but you can turn with me to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus in chapter 19. Uh, we'll pray before we read, but Exodus 19, we'll be reading from, from verse 16 to 25. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we need your help this morning as we come to your words. We want to feel something of what they felt at Mount Sinai. And we want to look up and know the Christ that they did not yet know. So we pray that you would visit us this morning in the preaching of your word and the hearing of your words. So give us grace to see, to believe, and would you draw near to us as we draw near to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Many people you meet will talk about God. Many people claim to believe in God. And many times they do not know the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Mount Sinai right here, right here, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the God who died on the cross, the God who showed up at Mount Sinai. This God is not who many talk about when they talk about gods, when it comes to the average person, the person you meet at work, the person you meet in your classroom, your neighbour, they may speak of gods. But it's very possible that they do not worship God, conceive of God, experience God, as God reveals himself in Exodus 19. This is the God of the Bible. And it's not the God that people like to encounter or think of, but it's absolutely essential that we understand who God is and listen to what God tells us about who he is. So follow along with me from verse 16 of Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord breaks out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up on Mount Sinai, to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bring in Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Thank the Lord for the reading of his holy and inerrant word. This famous scene on Mount Sinai is what theologians call a theopony. It's a theopony. And a theophany means a God appearing. And when God shows up in the Bible, and I mean literally when he shows up in some visible display, it is never until the incarnation 
a portrait to be drawn, but a presence to be experienced. For God is spirit. He does not have a body. Normally in scripture, God reveals himself through speaking. But when there is something to see of God in the Bible, like here on Mount Sinai, what we know as a theopony, it's usually this frightening and fascinating mix of sound, colour, smoke and fire. God revealed himself to Abraham as a smoking firepot in Genesis 15. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. God appeared to the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in Exodus 13. So we're used to God showing up with smoke and fire. And now we have something similar, but on an entirely different, more dramatic scale. The last we heard from Moses was that the people were told to get ready. In verse 11, and be ready for the third day. Tremendous words. And that should put a chill down your spine if we think of what happened on the third day and we give thanks that the tomb is empty. But here they were told to wait for the third day. For on the third day the Lord would come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. And as we saw most tellingly, as I've just said, the foretaste when God would say to his people, wait for the third day. Wait for the third day. So here they are waiting. And God visits them. And that's where the action picks up in verse 16. They're waiting for the third day. And then there is that first thunder and lightning, a massive display of power. I'm sure many of you can think of frightful thunderstorms, um, when you're unable to sleep, or maybe you heard various objects being thrown around outside your window. A week or two when I was writing this, it had just been a windy night. And by all, by all, by all accounts, it's just a mild windy night, it normally rains here, but this, this, this is a night where it, where it was windy. But it still picked my garden chair up and threw it across the yard. So I had to go and see whether it was a someone breaking in, and it just turned out to be the wind. I've seen some fearful hailstorms in Mississippi. I don't know, I'll show some of you the pictures. And of course, some of them have very tragic consequences. An hour from where we were in March, it took out a whole town. A, you know, a, a, a frightful thunderstorm. But the, the hailstorm I was at, the, hail, the hailstones were so big, um, you know, I thought there might be a rapture after all. And then I changed my mind and came back to my senses. But the Israelites are seeing something far more frightening than the worst thunderstorms. If you think of people who are fearful of climate change, you have no idea what God can do. What God can do, what God has done. There is thunder, there is lightning, there is a thick cloud, there is a symbol of God and his ineffable mystery. We rightly should fear God. We rightly should fear God. God is knowable. God is knowable, 
but our knowledge of God will never be exhausted. There is beauty, and yet there is an eeriness. Sometimes with low-hanging clouds, if you look out to Derwent Water from a, you know, from a vantage point, it looks beautiful, but at the same time eerie. There's a reason why they film so many films here. I've lost track of my, you know, my wife will tell me all the films that they filmed here. But there's a reason they do that, because it looks beautiful and eerie at the same time. The northern lights are beautiful, but mysterious at the same time. Or think, you know, I think about when I was a small kid in London and those pea super fogs, not, I'm not that old, this is relatively recently, that covers everything. And even in the fog, there is a beauty and an eeriness when you cannot see anything. But this is what surrounded them. This is what surrounded, trying to imagine what surrounded the people of Israel. Thunder, lightning, thick clouds, and then a very loud trumpet blast. Why would the trumpet blast? Well, it was some kind of ram's horn. It wasn't a brass instrument like they had the last night of the proms, but it had been a, a ram's horn. And a ram's horn to announce the coming of the king. And a sign that the people of Israel are about to approach the mountain. Verse 12, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. With a man or beast he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, there shall come up to the mountain. Now some people say Israel was initially supposed to go, but then they disobeyed. And then God said, no, you cannot come closer to my presence because you disobeyed. You cannot make it all the way here, so now I'll give you the Ten Commandments. I don't think that's what's happening. I think there was always a distinction here. And you see it played out in these prepositions. Take care not to go into the mountain, not literally into a rock. But if we say we're going into the Western Fells, for example, you're going to be going up and further into that mountainous region. Take care not to go up into the mountain, but verse 13 says, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. That is, you shall come to the foot of the mountain and gather there, and so the ram horn sounds, and they approach, but not beyond the limits that God sets. But at the foot of the mountain there is thick cloud, thunder, lightning, and that ram horn, that ram's horn's blast. The mountain was wrapped in smoke and fire. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The only other time that phrase is used, like a kiln, is in Genesis nineteen twenty-eight with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The only other time it is used, like a kiln. So this mountain is literally on fire. The Mount Sinai is aflame. Even today, with all the things we see on our TV screen, with all the special effects, 
Even today, people stop to point out smoke or fire. Just think about it, I thought about this. You smell a fire, you stop what you're doing and say you're something burning. What's burning? You smell smoke, you know, you know, and normally it's some teenagers camping by Derwent Water when they shouldn't be. But um, not but it's you, you smell something and you stop to investigate. Or you look into the distance and you see a billow of cloud going up into the sky. You don't think, well, that's Sellafield blew, you know, blew up and that's a nuclear cloud dust. No, you think, well, what is going on? You see smoke, what is going on? You smell fire, what's going on? You stop. So even if you see a flame, if you saw a flame in a window, you would be shocked. You would stop to investigate. So flame, smoke, fire, we stop. And um, there's danger associated with fire, smoke, and the smell. Well, this exceeds anything like that. God made Mount Sinai into his personal volcano. It was a flame. So it's hard to appreciate what they actually experienced. It's hard to appreciate what they actually experienced. And we're so used to this. We see CGI effects all the time. We see multi-storey buildings being blown up. We see cars circling in the air. We see massive explosions in Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, just to name a few. Oh, mountain on fire. <laughs> no one was yawning then. No one was yawning. And this is not the last time that God will visit his people with smoke and fire and thunder and lightning and earthquakes and tremors. The glory cloud at the end of Exodus will fill the tabernacle. In Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Or think of the crucifixion. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Or Pentecost, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And when they had prayed, Acts 4, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Revelation 4 verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. When God shows up, there is smoke and flame and rumbling and light and colour and sound, and the people trembled. And so it was when God came down on Mount Sinai. Everyone understood what was happening. They may not have known Yahweh as they should. They may not have comprehended everything that he had done or was about to do. But as they stood there at the mount, foot of Mount Sinai, they understood that there was one in their presence who is not to be trifled. There is one in their presence who is not to be trifled with. 
And you look at their response. Look at their response. It says they all trembled. Of course they would tremble. It was wrapped in smoke. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people trembled. We can understand, I think, one commentator said that the mountain looked frightening, it sounded frightening, and it felt frightening. And so they shook. When did you last tremble in the presence of the Lord? When did you last break down in tears because of your sin? When did you tremble, tremble in the presence of the Lord? Or when did you burst out in praise because of amazing grace? And I hear it quite a lot. You say, well, well Pastor, I'm, I'm not an emotional person. I'm British. Well, have you seen yourself when football's on? Have you seen, have you, just look in the mirror. Have you seen yourself? Well, we all have a certain emotional register, but sometimes we sell ourselves a bit short. We're more emotional than we think we are. But when was the last time you trembled? When was the last time you were rendered speechless to contemplate God in his awesome beauty and his majesty? Silent night? Holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory streams from heaven afar. We could use in this country, we could certainly use in our churches, less quaking in the presence of politicians or archbishops or COVID or rock stars and a lot more trembling in the presence of Lord God Almighty. We need to fear God. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Luke 19, Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Even the inanimate objects of the earth, the mountain quaked at the sight of God. The people trembled, the mountain trembled, and the Lord redoubled his instructions. He said again in verse 21, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Do not let the people break, break through. Do not let them get too close. They're going to die. Go down and bring Aaron. Come up, bring in Aaron with you. Eventually Aaron will be brought up in chapter 24. We'll see that in the weeks ahead. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai you yourselves warned us, say, and set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. As if Moses is saying, Lord, you've already told us they cannot come. We have boundaries in place, but God needs to repeat it again. He wants to make clear this is no joke. This is not a light thing to approach God. You know, like over the PA system, you might hear, this is not a drill. I repeat, this is not a drill. You can almost hear that. God descending on the mountain. Make sure, Moses, that you know, because there will always be someone who thinks they're the exception. Have you met somebody who thinks that they are the exception? You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm okay to meet God. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not Stalin. 
I'm not Hitler. I'm not J.K. Rowling. Whoever you want to put in there. I'm not. I'm not saying she's like that, by the way. I'm just saying. I'm just saying what people say. Nuts. You know. Anyway. You know. I, I. I've been a good person. I've tried to do what is right. And they think they can break in to get close and touch the mountain of God's presence. People were liable to peer in where they do not belong. So again the Lord says in verse 24, go down and come up, bring in Aaron with you. Do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And there are the lessons that we've been seeing throughout the book of Exodus. And I want you to draw your attention to two in closing. Yeah, it's only quite early on to say finally, but, you know, my finalies anyway. Um, we see something about God and we see something about ourselves. So first of all, I want us to draw this lesson that we see something about God. Here's the definition of God from the Westminster Confession and it sounds quite wordy and it might sound technical to you, but it gives an impressive sense of what can be said about our glorious almighty God. There is but one only living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiven iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them who diligently seek him, and withal, most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Every word of that is true. And it describes in some imperfect way our God. Is that the God you worship? As I said last week, many people say, I do not believe in God. And if you get into conversation, you realise, I don't believe in the God that you don't believe in either. Oh, that we would encounter, oh, that we would experience who God is, who this God is. The God who descends on Mount Sinai is not one to be dealt with lightly or casually. Now, you remember the old bridge diagram, the first time I saw it actually it was John Stott was, was showing it in, in Westminster Chapel Youth and Evangelism that there is a chasm and there is God and there is you and there is a bridge and Jesus Christ is the bridge that brings you together it's a fine illustration and it moved me when I saw it except most people today don't believe that there's a chasm what do you mean I need a bridge? I'm not sinful. I'm broken because of who my parents are. What do you mean I need a mediator? I'm pretty good. People like me. I'm a fairly decent kind of chap. 
God is nice and God loves me. And God helps me out and I'm doing the best I can. We're kidding ourselves. If that isn't, we, that's the view of thousands of people who go to church in our country. And they're pretty good. And on a scale, they're okay to meet God. But they don't think of God with thunder, lightning, thick clouds, and such a presence that the mountain itself trembled. The very mountain trembled in the presence of this God. So there's much that we need to learn and we need to fear God. Oh, that we would fear God and not man. Oh, that we would fear Almighty God and stop seeking that innate, stupid men's approval that we all are slaves to. Secondly, we see something about ourselves, that how unworthy we are of his majesty. None of us likes to think that we are low. None of us likes to think that we're a worm. I'm reminded of Winston Churchill, he said, it is true that we're all worms, but I believe I'm a glowworm. And that's kind of how we think, you know. Yeah, everyone else is a worm, but I'm, I'm, I'm a bit glowy. But this is one of these passages that help us orient ourselves and keep us low. We cannot come unbidden to touch the mountain. John Calvin said that the, the sinner will never be capable of pardon until he learns to tremble from consciousness of his guilt. Nay, until confounded with dread, he lies like one dead before the tribunal of God. Does that describe any of us? To come face to face with our own sin. <clears throat> to come face to face with our own guilty conscience and say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Mark Dever is the pastor of Capital Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He has a great book on personal evangelism. But he says that in praying for unbelievers in his life, the singular thing that he prays for is that the people he wants to know, he wants to know Christ, would come to an awareness of their sin. That's what he prays time and time again, that people that he knows would come to an awareness of their sin. I found that interesting, that all of the things that you could pray for, that they would come to know. He says, unless you, someone comes to a realisation of their sinfulness, that, re, that unless they know that they're unworthy to come before God, then all the rest that we're talking about, the Jesus and the incarnation and the cross, is there, but it's not here. And I wonder if it is here for all of us. Deuteronomy 4 verse 32, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you could have heard and still live? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is none beside him. That's not the question, though, that anyone in our day is thinking to ask. How can it be that God speaks to us and we do not die? 
How can it be that God meets with us and we're not consumed? How can God dwell in the midst of an unholy people? How can he come and descend on the mountain and we hear him speak and yet we live to tell the tale? So Exodus 19 is meant to press home the awful and majestic holiness and majesty of God and our unworthiness in his presence. It's a remarkable passage. God's visitation, this theophany on the mountain, is a stunning display of power and majesty and might. And yet the Bible tells us that this coming down at Sinai, in all its amazing splendour, has been superseded by another divine visitation. I want you to turn there as we close to Hebrews 12. And the writer to Hebrews is going to make this explicit argument. You know about Mount, Mount Sinai. You've heard the stories. You've read the second book of Moses. You've heard the sermons of God coming down to visit his people at Mount Sinai. Let me tell you about a greater mountain. Let me tell you about a greater mountain. Hebrews 12 verse 18. And the writer to the Hebrews is writing to believers. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet. And a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 19. Verse 22, but you've come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see the comparison? He says, you know all about the story, but I'm telling you, you've not come to Mount Sinai. He gave a seven-fold description of Sinai. Number one, the mountain can be touched. Number two, a blazing fire. Number three, darkness. Number four, gloom. Number five, tempest. Number six, the ram's horn. Number seven, the sound of a voice. You've not come to that mountain. But he says in verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion. And again, he gives a sevenfold description of that mountain. Number one, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. Number two, innumerable hosts, angels in festal gathering. Number three, it's the assembly of the firstborn. Number four, God the judge of all. Number five, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Number six, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And number seven, the sprinkled blood that speaks of better words. And Hebrews starts with, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world, by his Son. He's comparing two revelations at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke by his prophets, but today, God has spoken by his Son. And at the end of Hebrews, he compares two mountains. Mount Sinai, with all its glory. And you tremble. But you've not come to Mount Sinai. You've come to a different mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, which is the symbol of Jerusalem and the residence of God with his people. So you might be tempted to say at this point, yeah, that's why I like the New Testament. You know, Mount Sinai's scary and, you know, all smoky, but Mount Zion sounds cheery. Well, there's something to that, but look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, if the children of Israel needed to listen to God who descended on Mount Sinai, a mountain that can be shaken, how much more must we pay attention to the God who has spoken through his Son? From Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, and approach him with reverence, worship and awe. So there's a tremendous exhortation, and there's tremendous good news, my friends. And the exhortation is today, do not refuse him who is speaking. Do not refuse him who is speaking. Maybe this morning you hear the voice of God speaking to you. Maybe you hear the voice of God convicting you of sin that you have hidden. Maybe your conscience is burning. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for the very first time. Do not neglect the voice of Jesus speaking through his words. The sheep know his voice. It's a dangerous thing to have gone from Mount Sinai and hearing God speak. How much more dangerous to have God from his heavens through his Son now speak. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That's the exhortation. And the good news is the God of great wonder and power of lightning, of thunder, of colour, of smoke and flame and cloud and fire, who descended to such a degree that they could not even bear to hear him speak. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now... And now, if we have the eyes of faith, 
we can behold his glory. Not in a shaking mountain, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us pray. O Lord, we do not want to refuse this morning the one who is speaking. They saw, we have heard, you have come. Let us love and sing and wonder. In Jesus' name, amen.